0: Welcome to the Monogamous Marriage Podcast. We're Kate and Liam, married bisexuals a decade into our non-monogamous journey.
1: We've been having sex with our friends for 10 years, and we're still madly in love with each other.
0: We're the authors of the Monogamous Marriage blog, where we've been overthinking sex and love since 2016. This podcast is the place where we process our sexual adventures in real time.
1: We are not experts, and nothing we say should be mistaken for professional advice. This show contains mature language and sexual content, so if you're under 18, it isn't for you. But if you're a fellow overthinker and you're not freaked out by unfiltered conversation, you're going to feel right at home. A listener recently reached out to us and recommended that we listen to Kim Monami's podcast on the three-hour sex date. And we did, and we thought at the end of that, that sounds like a great idea. Let's try it.
0: Yeah, a great idea, but a lot of pressure. You think three hours of sex, which can be easy, say, in the early days of a relationship, but in year 11, like us, can seem a little daunting.
1: Right. Well, since you bring up the beginning of our relationship, let's go back there, because that's part of the context here. We started in the lifestyle basically from day one, and we didn't really know what the lifestyle was, but on our very first date, I told you... I have sex with my best friend, and I want to continue doing that in some fashion. And so we haven't had a single day in our relationship where we were sexually exclusive with each other. Right. So that has led me to question a few times, especially in the past year where we've had some struggles what are we or who would we be without the lifestyle? Because we've never really had the opportunity to figure out who would we be if we were monogamous and what kind of sex life would we have if it was just the two of us all the time?
0: Right. Which is an interesting question because we have generally felt, I think, that non-monogamy has added to our relationship, has made it better, made it stronger, made our lives more interesting. But I get that you can also see a downside to that, especially if it's been there forever.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely. We have seen some of the upsides of being in the lifestyle. So it brings an excitement and kind of a freshness to your sex life. After being in a sexy environment, you maybe come home and have more sexual energy and verve for your partner and for sex in general. But it can go the other way too, right? Where after having an orgy, My pussy's kind of worn out and I don't want you to touch it for a few days. So it can bring you more sexual energy and excitement, but it can also kind of take away from your one-on-one connection.
0: So what did you think when you heard the term three-hour sex date for the first time? So I'm telling you, I felt pressure. What did you feel?
1: I, I don't know. I felt kind of neutral about it. Like, okay, that would be interesting. Um... I immediately started having thoughts about how would I fill three hours? Because obviously you can't spend three hours thrusting, right? (laughs) Right. Speaking of my pussy being worn out, I just, I couldn't do that. But then I started thinking, well, what could you do to fill those three hours? And so I got excited about the possibilities and immediately started imagining all the things that we could fit into three hours. So that was exciting for me, partly because we had been going through a period of disconnection between Mm -hmm. us. And so if you've listened to our last episode, you know that there was a betrayal and several months of, of disconnection and struggle. And so I was actively looking for something that would help to repair us and um, reprioritize us. And so... Part of my excitement about this idea was all of our mental energy that we put into thinking about sex, planning for sex, going on vacations with other people, um, having dates, having parties, so much of that is outward focused. And I think our sex life has taken a backseat. We haven't really given it the kind of energy that other people might have to give when it's just the two of them and they're forced to, you know, make it great between them. So I was thinking that in the wake of this season of trouble between us, we really needed to be conscious about making time for each other, prioritizing each other, reestablishing our bond. And I thought this was something that would be a pretty great tool for us.
0: So that brought up another interesting issue with us, which is how we look at the role of sex within our connection. So for me, I need to feel connected to really let go and engage in the best sex possible. But that's not how it works for you.
1: No, for me, if I feel disconnected, the best way to come back together and to feel good about each other is to have sex. So you need to have a solid connection in order for sex to happen. I need sex to happen in order to feel that I have a solid connection.
0: Right. So that was definitely a contributing factor to why we were sort of running around in circles, chasing mm-hmm. each other's tails, so Right. to speak.
1: You were waiting for the conflict to be over right. in order to have sex. And I was like, but I can't feel like the conflict is over until we have sex. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we were going in circles, chasing our tails.
0: Right. So you were feeling that the arbitrariness of the three-hour sex date, because nothing is more arbitrary than a three-hour sex date. Like, set your watches, mark your calendars, it's coming up, the three-hour sex date, and go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Forcing yourself to, and you know, forcing sounds like a terrible word when you come to sex. but,
0: But you used it.
1: Sure. Scheduling. Sex Uh is actually something that a lot of therapists advise you do, right? It seems artificial. It seems maybe a little arbitrary. But if you know it's coming, you can get that level of anticipation up, you can think about it, plan for it. You know, if you have to take some medication... Um, that lead time can actually be helpful in in making it more exciting.
0: Right. So our first step was to actually listen to Kim Anami's podcast on the three hour sex date, this episode that was recommended to us. And do you remember that's a few months ago now? Do you remember what your takeaway was from hearing her talk about it as a concept?
1: Um, Well, she said that as a, a sex coach, she recommends that all of her clients do this, that they set time aside each week to have this intimate space that is uninterrupted. So um, the three hours is something that you um decide in advance that you look forward to that you really don't compromise in in doing it every week. So I thought that sounded interesting cuz quite often you'll you'll get to, you know, bed and you've maybe talked about having sex that night but you feel like, "Oh, I'm kind of tired now or I've got a bit of a headache or it's gotten later than I thought." And it's easy to let yourself off the hook. But I liked that when she talked about it, she talked very stridently about you must not break this date. And she gave some examples of clients of hers, like there was a lawyer who blocked out three hours every Thursday afternoon on his calendar, and his assistant knew to never schedule a meeting during that time. So that seemed like a good thing for us, because we had had this long period of, you know, kind of neglecting our sex life.
0: So how important did you think the three hour number was?
1: I don't know. At first, I felt like it was kind of You know, just an arbitrary number. But after we did it the first time, I felt like, wow, that's kind of essential to it because you get to, you know, an hour and a half or two hours in and you feel like, man, I have done everything I can think of to do. I'm tired. Let's just go to sleep. But if you really hold yourself to that three hours, you find that there are lulls in the action. But if you force yourself to stay in an intimate space, lots of interesting and exciting and unexpected things can happen.
0: For me, it introduced the idea of not rushing things that I normally unconsciously rush. So if we're having a massage, I'm giving you one, you're giving me one. I'm always thinking, I don't want to overtax you. I don't want this to go on too long. So I will cut it off just out of maybe consideration for you. But when you have three hours to fill... You actually think, let's just keep this going because it's good. And if we stop this, we're going to have to replace it with something else.
1: Right. Yeah, I think I had gotten to a place where I just believed sex was always a little bit uncomfortable, if not painful for me physically, and that it took me a very long time to come to orgasm. So I just accepted those as truths about myself in a sexual space. But what I have found since we've started doing this is, in fact, it doesn't hurt have sex when you've had an hour of foreplay. And I can come really, really fast when I've had an hour of foreplay. So the luxury of that of time really helped with, you know, creativity and experimentation, but also just physically, I responded in a way that I didn't think my body could respond anymore. I thought, you know, that 20 something always wet thing. Mm -hmm. I thought, that was gone. I'm 46 now. I'm perimenopausal. I'm just always going to need a lot of lube. But no, actually, I can still get authentically aroused and to a space where it's not uncomfortable. And it turns out I just need the time to get there. And we don't often take it.
0: The other interesting thing is because you're looking at a three-hour block of time, there's no scheduling it when we usually have sex, which is 11 o'clock at night Mm -hmm. or midnight and However turned on we might be, we're also thinking, this is late. This cannot go on for too long. So a three-hour sex date actually forces you to think about starting sex at 8, at 6, at 2 in the afternoon even, which is a whole different context for sex, but introduces an element of relaxation that's just not there, at least for us, if we just leave it up to when we're feeling in the mood, because that's invariably too late for anything approaching a three hour sex
1: date. Yeah. And I recognize that um, there's a certain amount of privilege in being able to carve out three hours to have sex. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you've got young kids, you might be listening and just thinking like, oh, there's no way that's going to happen. But, you know, if you get your kids to bed at eight o'clock, you can still have three hours of sex before you have to go to sleep. Um, but you, you have to be conscious about scheduling it, you know, planning for it, making sure the kids are down on time and making sure you get to it instead of taking half an hour to brush your teeth or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, there's a level of, of conscious planning that maybe seems a little bit strange at first, but we have found it's very effective. Another thing I found it's really helpful in is our outside connections. So when we have a strong sexual foundation, when we're coming off the high of a three-hour sex date, and then we go out with other people, I feel way more energized and way more um, secure in our foundation. And I realize now that before we were going into, you know, sex with other people at a deficit, you know, there was a period of time where according to your records, which you keep. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there was 23 days when we never once had sex, just the two of us. Right. There were three times when we had sex with other people present. So we had had these dates set up or parties scheduled, but it was always almost performative. Like we did it because other people were around, but it felt inauthentic because we didn't have that desire for each other outside of a swinging space. So for me, it's been really, really good and healthy to feel like our sex life is back on track and we're having a lot of really gratifying, really connecting sex. So now when we do have sex with other people, it feels like my cup is filled up. And so it's just an overflowing now.
0: Right. Okay. So we're going to take a little break right now, and then we're going to come back and talk about that first one. And then in some detail talk about all the different things we've discovered in the realm of fantasy during our three-hour sex dates okay travel has always been a big part of our lifestyle experience and we are taking part in a number of amazing events in 2023 with naughtygym.com with room77life.com with podcastapalooza.com
1: And finally, we have our new brand, Sapio Tours. So we are launching our own travel company where we are going to take small groups of lifestyle people to culturally and historically interesting places, mostly in Europe. And our first trip is to Crete. So Crete is the largest of the Greek islands, and we will be there June 9th to 16th of 2023. We have a new website, sapiotours.com, specifically for our travel.
0: That's s-a-p-i-o-t-o-u-r-s.com, am I right?
1: That's right. And we'll also have information about all of these trips on our themonogamishmarriage.com website under Upcoming Events.
0: As I'm sure you're realizing, the three-hour sex date requires structure. So there is a real approach to planning and implementing this idea that requires negotiation back and forth. And I think it's important to share with people some of those concepts that we are putting to use.
1: Right. So early in the week, we look at our calendars and figure out where's the best three-hour block Um, so we have to consider, you know, the kids coming and going and lessons and, um, meetings and things
0: and travel because we may not be home that week. In fact, that is so often the case in the first half of this year, at least.
1: Right. Yeah. So we try not to give ourselves excuses to not do it and, um, really be conscious about working it in somewhere. And, I think we haven't missed a week since we started. Anyway, right. we've we've been good, even with our busy lives, about making it happen every week. So that's the first thing. Schedule it as far in advance as you can, and then it gives you time to look forward to it and think and plan for it.
0: Yeah, we're doing it differently than Kim Anami suggested because her approach, as was shown with the example of the lawyer, is that you lock it into your schedule same time, same day, every week. But that just does not seem to have been possible for us. We've had to be more improvisational about it.
1: Right. The next thing that we've implemented as a rule is we take turns curating. So one week, Liam gets to set the tone. So he decides what lights and music and setting and opening scene do we want to have. And then the next week, it's my turn. So We each get to take a turn starting the action. But of course, over the course of three hours, lots of things happen that were not planned for. Um, But the opening volley is one of our responsibilities.
0: Yes. And that is interesting because it gives you the challenge early in the week of saying, I've got to come up with something Mm -hmm. because it's going to be my turn this week. So it's one of those anticipatory exercises where you're directing some creative energy towards this responsibility that you have, but it's a happy responsibility. You're going to have to come up with some fun sex starters. So that idea of making something better, not just in the moment, in the time frame in which it happens, but in that period of anticipation leading up to it because you have a task, I think that's really part of the magic of the three-hour sex date.
1: Yeah. So some of the things I consider in advance when it's my week to curate is where do I want it to take place? Because I think that it's valuable to get it outside of your bedroom. So we have used our guest room down the hall. We've used our sex dungeon in the basement. Um, we've used a hotel room. We've used the Honey Spoons condo in Tremblay. Um, so we've had different settings where it feels a little more special and a little more removed from your sleeping space,
0: but Most people don't have a sex dungeon and some may not even have a guest room down the hall. But they can give some thought to how they're going to create a mood within that same old bedroom to elevate it above the usual experience of that space.
1: Right. Well, and and I've even thought of putting a bunch of blankets and cushions in front of the fireplace or doing the same sort of thing outside in the summer. And so there are lots of things you can do to try and make it special and differentiate it from your regular Tuesday night, 20 minute sex.
0: Right. One of the things you do effectively is to work with light and to work with music to create a different mood within a space that's very familiar.
1: Yeah, I really feel like music and setting is important to the feel and the mood of it. So, you know, last time I said I wanted to start with some impact play. So I got out the spanking bench and all of the spanking implements. I had, you know, kind of a, a heavier, bass-driven playlist. Um, we had it in the basement with the the LED lights and um, some candles. And so I think, you know, that's part of the fun. As the curator, you get to do the planning. And it's part of being conscious and really putting energy into your sex with your partner. It makes it exciting and it makes it different and interesting and something to look forward to. Another rule that we've implemented for ourselves is no content creation. So I think part of the reason sex was becoming a problem for us was because I've been doing OnlyFans the past year and sex has kind of become my job. And a lot of the time when we are having sex with each other, there are cameras and we have to think about the lighting and the angles and, you know, making sure we get the, the big shot at the end. And so, it makes it a little artificial and a little bit, um, it applies some pressure that most people don't have to deal with.
0: Right. But there is a fine line because that idea of having a camera present is a very legitimate element to bring to a three-hour sex date. Because mm-hmm. we all know the turn on that happens from taking sexy pictures or shooting a sexy video. And that is a legit place to go. And we're going to talk about that a bit later when we discuss the actual fantasies we have employed in making our three-hour sex date special. Mm-hmm. But if you're turning it in any way into work, that kind of defeats the purpose.
1: Right. Although we did on our last sex date, knowing that this podcast was going to happen, we did film the first hour so that people on OnlyFans, if they're curious, can see some of what we get up to in our three-hour sex date. So
0: Right. So that's very meta <laughs> to say that. You shouldn't document it in terms of content creation, but that might add an extra element of fun if you're trying to illustrate it for your other content creation avenue, which is the <laughs> podcast.
1: Have I got that right? It's kind of circular. Yeah. Yes.
0: And these are problems that no one who's listening shares or a very tiny group <laughs> right. shares with us. So,
1: Okay. Um, are there any other logistical details that we haven't talked about? I
0: don't think so.
1: Oh, Food. We always have an element of food included. So the first time I brought up a charcuterie board and a bottle of wine and throughout the evening, we ate that. Um, the last time I had sushi delivered. So to have some sustenance there, because three hours is a long time, you might get hungry. It's helpful because it keeps you from leaving the intimate space. Right. So having the food and drink there in the room with you keeps you from going up to the kitchen and getting distracted by the dishes. And I think it's really important to stay in that headspace of intimacy and connection and disconnection from your regular life.
0: Right. And eating in bed, whether it's sushi or a charcuterie board, is actually a way to do that, creating an event because you're doing something out of the ordinary together.
1: Yeah, it's sexy. And sensual. Mm-hmm.
0: Another thing sounds basic, but again, it can sometimes be a forgotten element. And that is the personal preparation. So the shower, the personal grooming, which in a culture that has a weird relationship with body hair, (laughs) that might not just be a two minute thing you can take care of before the three hour sex date starts. And that's all about feeling your best in the situation. So you want to come into this special event feeling special. And so you've taken all these steps to make it that way by paying attention to the lighting and the music and the location and the food. And you want to make sure that everything about your presentation to your partner is also feeding into that.
1: Although it can be fun to actually start the clock before the shower or before the sure. bath. So we've done that where we, we begin by taking a shower or a bubble bath together and we wash each other. And there's something very sensual about having you wash my hair, but it's not the time to whip out the razor and shave your armpits. Right.
0: Good point. <laughs> right.
1: Another really crucial element of the logistics of this thing is the you can't say no rule. Now, Of course, you don't want to abuse this, but the basic idea is that you're creating a safe space in these three hours where you can ask for anything. So that dark fantasy in the back of your mind that you've always been afraid to share, this is your time to bring it forward. Or that thing that you really wish your partner would do, it's your time to ask. So to make it a safe space, we have agreed that we will not say no to any request as long as it's you know, reasonable. So if your partner has maintained for 20 years, you are never sticking anything in my ass. It's maybe not the <laughs> time to to bring that up. But it's worked really well for us because there are some things that um, we've both pushed ourselves to do. And we have found that they're actually really enjoyable. So that you can't say no rule has actually turned out to be um, very freeing.
0: All right? right. So we want to talk about in detail the things that we have done during our three-hour sex date because you would think in year 11 of a relationship that's had as much sex as ours has that there wouldn't be much room for surprises but it seems like it's almost been non-stop surprises so we're going to take a little break right now and then we're going to come back and talk about all the different things we've discovered okay We are so grateful that we get contacted regularly by people who listen to this podcast who want to support us. And there are really two ways to do that. The first is through Patreon. So we have had a Patreon page for almost two years now. And the idea there is that people can make a financial contribution to offsetting the costs of our blog and our podcast. And we appreciate those people because these things are provided for free. We don't expect to be remunerated for our work, but we feel touched that some people say, you know what? I know I don't have to. I want to make a contribution generally of about $6 a month. So if you want to join our Patreon group, you can do that by going to www.patreon.com forward slash Kate underscore and A-N-D underscore Liam. So patreon.com forward slash Kate and Liam and you'll have all the instructions there for how to sign up
1: and if you'd like to contribute something but also get something back you can go to OnlyFans So some of the things we've been talking about on this podcast, you could actually see with your own eyes. If you go to OnlyFans and look up Kate Monogamish, I have two accounts. I've got a free account or I have a VIP account where you can pay a small amount per month and get daily posts, messages, chats, and free weekly videos, plus a full length new release every week.
0: And I have to say, sweetie, you're really good at this. I take most of the photos and videos and I so regularly get turned on looking at that (laughs) material. So she's really good folks. If that's something that you're interested in onlyfans.com forward slash Kate monogamish is the place to look.
1: Thanks for your support.
0: And now back to the monogamish marriage podcast. So now we've come to the point where we talk about what, we have actually done during our three-hour sex date and it's important to go into detail because first of all that's something that our audience can masturbate to (laughs) listening to what we've done and we never
1: give them that
0: no we're a bad podcast in that sense aren't we (laughs) so so this is going to be that chance so definitely loosen up your belts unbutton those waistlines and (laughs) get ready because it's going to be super fucking hot
1: okay but
0: perhaps more importantly we want to talk about the kinds of things that become possible in this setting that aren't normally. And we've discovered quite a few ourselves. And sometimes because we have put this into our lives, it doesn't have an effect just for those three hours, but it touches other aspects. So now we're almost like curators looking for interesting new art forms that we can bring into our own sexual museum, which is the three-hour sex date.
1: Right. Um, one of the highlights for me was something I never would have thought in a million years I would enjoy. Okay. And that is Golden Showers. Right. <laughs> we're jumping in the deep end here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't think you were going to go there.
1: <laughs> well, so my interest started about a year ago when I heard on the That Couple Next Door podcast, um Jay was talking about uh, a party where he had a woman pee on him. And I I always thought that was pretty nasty. But when he described it, And I I knew the person he was talking about, and I could visualize it because they're such good storytellers. I was getting really turned on. And I suppose it shouldn't be too surprising because we're both really into the taboo. And so I started thinking about it. And then uh, when we were in Montana, there was a, a guy when we were on our hike who was peeing against a tree and I wanted so desperately for him to turn around so wow. I could see him. So this has kind of gotten into my consciousness and I've shared it with Mr. Honey Spoon who ha- I think has a shared sense of um kind of playful, silly, taboo openness.
0: He's awesome. That's He's another awesome. Way of
1: putting it. <laughs> Mr. Honey Spoon is awesome. So I've shared with him that I'm kind of into this thing. I've never tried it, but I like the thought of it.
0: Can I say something right here? Mm -hmm. I went through a phase during my sex starved marriage when I watched a lot of porn. And I say a phase, the phase started about one month after I got married (laughs) and ended about a day before that marriage ended.
1: So about a 26 year phase. Yeah.
0: Of (laughs) consuming a lot of porn. That's how I got by sexually. And there was a phase where I was watching peeing videos. And by the way, Ooh. I don't like to say golden showers because <laughs> I prefer crystal clear showers. <laughs> golden sounds too, dare I say it, pungent?
1: Too uric acid
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. <Ew>. So anyway, <laughs> sometimes it's the little things that make something sexy when it's otherwise Perhaps disgusting. So it was not a foreign concept to me that that could be fun. But I had kind of moved on. It wasn't in the back of my mind as something that we could try, but it, it came to salience when we were in Jamaica with the aforementioned honey spoons.
1: Right. We had been in the nude pool for several hours drinking and absorbing water. And I turned to Mr. Honey Spoon and said, I got a pee. And he said, me too. And both of us at the same time said, Want to go together?
0: <laughs> right. So. And it's important to add, I was not there at this time. Oh. I was actually back in the room. Were you? Yeah.
1: Oh, I'm sorry you missed it. <laughs> so anyway, just
0: continue the story.
1: So we went to the outdoor shower beside the nude pool. If you've been to Hito, you know the place. And... We were both already naked and we just took turns peeing on each other's leg (laughs) under the stream of the water. So it was immediately washed away and we laughed and giggled and, you know, we were intoxicated. But it was also pretty sexy.
0: Right. And very (laughs) sexy for me to hear about it after. So I'm the kind of guy who doesn't have to be there for everything you do. In fact, who very much appreciates not being there. And so this was... Perfect example of that. It was such a turn on to me. When you told me, I was like, slow down. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I need you to spell this out <laughs> Can in you detail <laughs> at a very slow pace so I could take in every nuance.
1: Well, you had the opportunity to experience it firsthand when we went back home and had our first three hour sex date after that trip
0: yeah, and that's that idea of curation. So here's this experience that came out of nowhere with no forethought between you and someone else, and my curator's mind said, "I'm taking note of that. We are going to integrate that."
1: right. So your next turn up at the plate, you wanted to start with the golden shower. With the so- crystal
0: clear shower.
1: <laughs> yeah So how did we do it? You lay down in the bathtub. And I think we had the little hand shower on so that it was, like, there to readily <laughs> wash things away. You weren't just, like, lying in a tub of pee. Yeah,
0: but I have to say <laughs> thank you. That's important. Don't end up lying in a tub of pee. Unless that's your thing <laughs> and you both agree that's how. So hot. many
1: people have ended up there at the end of a crazy night.
0: Yeah, so fortunately we were of the same mind on that topic. So <laughs> I think what happened was actually... We had a shower first together at the beginning of the three-hour sex date.
1: Mm, Right. And I did it in the shower, just on your leg, kind of the same way I I had done with
0: honey spoon Right. It was later in the three-hour sex date because...
1: You you got to pee after three hours.
0: Yeah, before (laughs) three hours. So, But the thing about this particular activity is that there is a real anticipatory element to it as well. Mm. So every time you take a drink, it's usually just you're having a drink of water because you're thirsty. But now you're You're prepping, you're optimizing an experience that's about to come. So you're right. We did take it into the bathtub and filled it with a bit of water, and I lay down there, and then you had to perform. Now, do women ever have stage fright when it comes to urinating? Men, I'm sure many of the men listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, if I had to produce on demand, I don't know, maybe I could if I had had enough to drink. But for me, I mean water because I don't drink alcohol. But... As you were loading up, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be better. This is going to stretch out the event because she's drinking a lot of water.
1: Um, so the question was, do we ever have performance anxiety? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I'm sure some women do. For me, it's not about performance. It's about the weirdness of not being on a toilet. You know, if I like pee in the ocean, <laughs> for right. example, um, you know, it takes an extra minute to convince your brain that this is okay to do right. so i had a bit of that but and
0: it's not okay by the way to pee in the ocean oceans <laughs> are delicate natural ecosystems and you should not be messing with that but anyway please go on
1: all right uh, yeah so you you lay down there and i hovered over you and, and this time i was a little more controlled about it. i just released a little bit and then pause mm-hmm. and then a little bit more and pause and you were hard as a rock I was. And I was really into it. And then we ran back to the room and had more sex.
0: Yeah. And if I think about (laughs) it, it's it's a great deal because it is so forbidden. Mm -hmm. Like it has deep roots, but also it was completely unexpected territory. I mean, that's what was the thrill about it. So if you'd always talked about this being a cool thing, well, then we would have done it a long time ago and it wouldn't have been a big deal. But this was in that range of activities that had just never come up for us.
1: Well, and we have a closed bathroom policy. Like we don't even pee in the same room as each other. True. So it's extra forbidden and taboo and fun.
0: Yeah. So that maybe means that our closed door policy was a stroke of genius, unintentional genius (laughs) that made the experience super fresh for us.
1: Right. So another highlight for me, speaking of the taboo, was bringing some mind-altering substances in at different times. So you have in the past been really resistant to trying any kind of drug. Mm -hmm. And here in Canada, weed and mushrooms are legal. So it's not like it's the illicit, you know, illegality of it. Breaking the
0: law is no problem for me.
1: (laughs) But there are other things you've been afraid of in the past. Oh, yeah. And so... In the spirit of you can't say no, I have brought to you a couple different substances in very small quantities, and you've had to take them. Mm -hmm. And how has that gone for you?
0: Well, it's interesting. At the beginning, you said, of course, you can't force someone to do something that they don't want to do, that they're uncomfortable (laughs) with. But that goes for other people, apparently, because you're very comfortable forcing. And I should say, for me... I don't want to get too deeply into it, but I have lots of personal rules that cover that broad category called ingestion. (laughs) So there are so many foods and drinks I don't eat. So I've never tasted coffee. I've never tasted Coca-Cola. I've never tasted beer. So that idea of what I take into my body, I am weirdly careful about. So that also applies to drugs, which frankly... I had never contemplated as a teenager when everyone else is saying I couldn't wait to experiment. I couldn't wait to not experiment.
1: Okay. So the original question was, how did that go for you?
0: Um, I did insist in our negotiation that I take a very, very tiny quantity. So on one occasion that was mushrooms and on another occasion it was MDMA. And I would say in both instances, I did not have, certainly not a hallucinogenic experience, but even a mood or perception altering experience. But there was another added dimension that did feel different. Not discontinuous with my normal experience of you, but perhaps heightened in a way. And I can be very specific if you'd like. Mm-hmm. We were having sex at the Honey Spoons chalet where we had spent a weekend with them And another couple, and it was a fantastic weekend. Then they had all gone and we stayed behind. I know that you like to feel my weight on you. It's kind of like that weighted blanket effect that people talk about. And so,
1: particularly when I'm experiencing a little bit of anxiety on one of these substances.
0: Right. So I remember just holding you very closely. I was on top of you. So, I started squeezing you, and then I really wanted to squeeze you as hard as possible, confident that I couldn't break you. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: even though I'm an incredibly strong human of being, course, yeah. but I knew I'm I couldn't break strong. you. <laughs> yes, you are pretty strong, pretty resilient too. And so, but that feeling of trying to crush you into myself felt like that was facilitated. By the few grains mm-hmm. of MDMA that I had ingested.
1: Right. Yeah. I definitely noticed uh, a difference in you that night. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that it was on kind of a sub awareness level because I wouldn't want you to feel anxious as you, you know, experience something new, but I like that you were open to it and. I think this three hour sex date is a really great place to try new things for the first time because you are not going anywhere. You're not going to be driving afterward. Mm-hmm. You know, part of the scheduling is setting aside this space where you can have a mind altering experience and, and be safe. Mm-hmm. So I like that you've been open to that. And I think we can do a little bit more in the future. Right. And I'm excited about that.
0: But that's a real challenge for me because Aside from all the weirdnesses of what I put into my body, my identity tends to be built around the things I deny myself, which sounds horrible, but it's not for me. It has to do with discipline and maybe even safety, you might say. Yeah,
1: I was going to say fear is definitely a part of it.
0: I'm a weird combination of a person who experiments with a lot of things and then really doesn't experiment with whole other classes of things. So for me, it was not just taking this drug and having a fear of what might happen, but also redefining my identity for myself, if not for anyone else.
1: Well, we live to learn and grow, right? So maybe you should do that.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) I learn and grow a lot.
1: Okay. All right. Okay. Um, so another thing we've played with a lot is role play. Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is something that we have struggled with mightily forever. So neither one of us is very vocal in bed
0: to say the least.
1: So we make sounds, but we don't say words very often.
0: Right. And that's because we tend to break up laughing. Right. When we start talking as if we're like all the usual things like, oh, fuck me harder. It's just like, I can't say stuff like that. And (laughs) you don't seem to be able to say stuff like that without feeling like you're acting like a caricature of a sexual being.
1: Right. So in this safe space where you can ask for anything and not say no, we have played with some um, different role play scenarios that in the past have been a little tricky for us. So one of the role plays we took on was the mother-son kind of sex-positive nurturing dynamic. Um, so in the past, you've said that you like that, not so much the incestuous part of it, but more the approval and permission part of it. So to have a woman who is sex-positive, and I think there's probably an element of um, power, power or control.
0: Well, when you fantasize about a parental figure, which of course in reality is the most horrific thing. And we wrote a blog post about that some time ago, but in the imagination, it's all fair game. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious that that parental figure is at least partly standing in for society, Mm -hmm. for the rules that have kept us on the straight and narrow since we were aware of them as very, very young people. So. To get approval from that kind of parental societal figure about something that they are not or have not been approving of is very powerful. At least for me, sexually, I don't know how it is for you.
1: Mm. No, mine is is more about the power dynamics and being submissive. Um, but I definitely have had that, you know, daddy daughter fantasy thing. Right. Um, probably for some of the same reasons. Mm -hmm. So anyways, you had brought this scenario to me a few years ago and said, you know, here's kind of what I want to do. Like you're a nurturing mother figure. You come in and you see me masturbating and you, you know, give your approval kind of thing. That was the fantasy you shared. And I struggled with it because as a mom of two boys, I was like, "Ugh, this is too close to home. I cannot get into this. In fact, I'm kind of disgusted by the whole thing. Right. And so that became a problem because I kind of rejected you in saying I, I can't embody this. It feels kind of gross to me. And um, so this time around in the safe space of the three hour sex date, I think I actually initiated without you asking for it. Um, knowing that it was still a powerful fantasy for you so we did the whole you know hi you know i see you've got uh you've got a heart on there and that's nothing to be ashamed of and do you know how to touch yourself and do you want me to help you with that
0: listeners feel free to masturbate during this part (laughs) because she's really good at this
1: so we went through the whole thing and um you know, right down to, have you ever seen a woman's vagina before? Do you want to see mine? And, and we spent a long time in these roles. Um, we went all the way through from hand job to looking at my pussy to actually having sex, staying in role the whole time. And we didn't laugh.
0: Right. So why do you think that was like, what was the magic that made it possible not to laugh when we always had before?
1: Well, for me, it was partly the mind-altering substances. So I okay. think that night I was on to mushrooms. So <laughs> that really mellowed me out and made me feel less self-conscious. And um, because it was something that had been a difficult kind of point of rejection in the past, I really wanted to remedy that and to revisit this fantasy in a way that was open-hearted, you know. I was even open to being turned on by it, which I actually turned out to be. Um, so I thought it was going to be kind of like I'd have to plug my nose and do it. But once I got into it, I was kind of turned on by the whole idea of the forbidden. And Yeah, and
0: you have your own version of that too.
1: Yeah. So we have enacted that role play as well.
0: Right. And for us, in that circumstance, it takes the form of an over-the-knee spanking. So... I don't know where I got that idea from, but it's partly the infantile nature of it. Definitely the power dynamic is there. Partly, here's something that really turns me on. Doing something preposterous (laughs) of a sexual nature turns me on. Because I think as people, you and I are very aware of appearing proper in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. So we're invested in dressing right. Acting right, following the rules, and to suddenly not do that in a sexual situation by doing something as preposterous as taking a grown woman <laughs> over my knee to spend. her. would
1: normally never let you do that shit.
0: <laughs> right. Of course. I don't want to do it. That's not the kind of relationship I'm interested in. But in the context of sharing fantasies, it was a super turn on.
1: Yeah, so we did an extended daddy-daughter role play as well. Right. Are you going to give us some of the lines?
0: Oh, I can't. I'm not <laughs> Yeah.
1: In fact, we're not in the middle of a three-hour sex date right now. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, you just did it very well. But yeah, I can't perform this one right now. But I think I would say that my performance was more action-based than talking-based. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't saying a lot, but it was a very... Naughty spanking! I was playing with your asshole a lot for someone who's just supposed to be <laughs> spanking someone. Which made it that's 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 extra perverted. <laughs> that's a very very bad spanking. Yeah. That's way outside the bounds of safe <laughs> corporal punishment. Not that those bounds even exist anymore. But
1: uh, another role play we did was the bad massage therapist. Mm. So I had you on the massage table, and I came in with lingerie on mm-hmm. and said, you know, welcome and asked, you know, what kind of pressure you liked and gave you first a very vanilla massage. And then, and then I, oops, accidentally touched something I shouldn't have touched and said, Oh, I'm sorry. Is that okay? And, um, yeah, so we played out the whole thing right down to, I'm really not supposed to do this, but I'm so turned on because your cock is so beautiful. Would you mind if I just got up on the table with you and, And, you know, we were fucking on the table with our legs crossed over each other, which was really sexy and seems like something that's harder to do on the bed because on the massage table, you can let your legs dangle down. Yeah. Anyway, that was really hot. I
0: don't know if people can picture that, but if you're at all familiar with the movie Last Tango in Paris, Mm, Marlon Brando, Maria Schneider, 1972, you will know that scene where they fuck in this position where their legs are wrapped around each other, but they're both sitting and leaning back on their arms. Anyway, you did that perfectly. This thing that I didn't really know if it was possible in real life, but...
1: You're not very flexible.
0: I'm not very flexible. (laughs) But then neither was Marlon Brando in 1972, (laughs) but somehow he pulled it off and look at me at 61, I pulled it off too. (laughs) Right. And there was another scenario and that was, I was the photographer and you were the model. And I just, <laughs> I just have to share. This is hard, folks. I hope you appreciate it. Um, I've gotten. Are you going to so, cry, Liam? No, I'm not going to cry. I'm going to take my pants off and start <laughs> masturbating right here on the podcast. And that is, I've gotten so turned on by, <laughs> okay, by.
1: Are you sweating?
0: <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm sweating on the inside. <laughs> And that is having you pose for me as if I'm a photographer. And this is the most explicit photography imaginable. Like, I'm the photographer. I'm on my knees. Your legs are not only spread, you're pulling them back. You're you're showing me your <laughs> asshole, your pussy. You're spreading your lips. It's super primal. It is like prehistoric pre-human in terms of the level of my consciousness that is affected by looking at you in that way. And I'm picturing you doing this for a photographer, being like super comfortable, like, yeah, I'm just doing what needs to be done for these shots. The photographer has asked me to do it, and I have no problem doing it. And I come so hard (laughs) from that scenario. And again, it's partly, I can remember when you weren't comfortable even spreading your legs daintily for a picture. Can that be done daintily? Well, in my imagination, it can be done (laughs) daintily. Anyway, it's not dainty the way you do it now. But that is an example of me asking for something that was hard to ask for. Because not only could I imagine you rejecting my request, I could understand why you rejected my request. It'd be very legit for you to say, you know what? I'm not comfortable. That's a little bit like crazy gymnastic, just (laughs) not in my comfort zone. Yet you did it. And I bet that most people listening to this podcast can think of something that they almost dare not ask for. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to tell you that I dared to ask and lived to tell the tale.
1: <laughs> well, that's part of the beauty of this whole concept, which is you have the time and you have the freedom and the space set aside. You have the ground rules laid out where one person gets to start the action and ask for anything they want and they cannot be rejected. So it, it feels very different from that functional. All right, position one, two, three. We're done. Kind of daily sex that married couples quite often fall into. Mm-hmm. It feels luxurious. It feels indulgent. It feels safe, and it has opened up all kinds of possibilities. Like two nights ago when we had our our last one, we were both really tired after the first hour, and both of us were like, "Should we just go to sleep?" And and no, we persisted. And you at one point were. Uh, you asked for a massage and I gave you a little rub down massage. And then I turned you over and I spent like half an hour giving you a hand job and very slowly working my fingers into your ass and, um, and like getting super close so I could kind of rub my clit on your balls. And anyway, it was so sensual and, you know, there was no, banging happening. Right. Um but it was just long and drawn out and really sexy and lovely.
0: Right. And we ended up doing something that wasn't even a fantasy that you could think about, but I've never done it before and I'm just mentioning it to our listeners if they want to try it, which is fucking so that the only point of contact between your two bodies are vagina and the penis. <laughs> so, this your requires
1: hips. you to have a lot of planking ability.
0: Yeah, it's plank intensive. That's for sure. <laughs> plank intensive, I think they call it.
1: Good thing Liam's got lots of upper body fitness.
0: Yeah, it means your chests are not touching, your arms, shoulders, legs even. So you have to have your legs spread in the most extreme way. <sighs> then I lower down on top of you. So it's just it's my like a dipstick. Cock. Yeah, I would appreciate a sexier (laughs) metaphor, but yeah, it's kind of like that. But reducing all of the contact to just those few square inches of flesh, what the orgasm was (laughs) mind-blowing. And that was something, again, no one asked for it. I didn't ask for it. It wasn't planned. It just kind of happened coming out of that photography scenario. And it was incredible. So if that seems at all doable for any of you out there, (laughs) give it a try because the orgasm is beyond intense. It's like an explosion.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And all of these things are possible when you've got the time and the space to indulge, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you probably came faster because of that long, long buildup. So. What might have been otherwise like five minutes of planking was, you know, less than a minute. So it was more doable.
0: Yeah, it probably was less than a minute. You're right.
1: But it was super hot. It was. And
0: just to be clear, we're not privileging my orgasm above yours because you had already had four during the course of the three-hour sex date.
1: Yeah. Another beautiful thing about this is for some men within that three-hour period, you'll be able to come – and then recoup and then come again. Or if you come and you feel like, well, that's it for the evening, there's still so much you can do. And it does kind of deprivilege, if that's a word, <laughs> take focus away from the orgasm as like the ultimate end point of sex, because it's not about you stop when you come, you stop when the three hours are up. And if you come an hour and a half in, You've got to find ways to fill that time. So sometimes it's just lying beside each other, touching each other naked and and talking about, you know, sensual things. You know, what's a fantasy you've never shared with me? Or, you know, what's one thing you'd like to do that we've never done before? Whatever. Um, so even that sexy talk in the afterglow of having an orgasm is part of that intimacy that you're creating in these three-hour sex dates And so it takes away the, you know, now that I've come, we're going to sleep thing. And it just leaves space for, you know, maybe you'll come again. Maybe you'll come four more times.
0: Yeah. I just Just, want to point out, by the way, if you foresee a date where I come and then recharge and then I'm able to come again, we would have to do the 12 to 14 hour sex date. Oh, come on. Just because my recharge rate (laughs) is not what it used to be.
1: (laughs) Well, we could aim for that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah.
0: So we've done we done seven of these things, would you say at least? Yeah. yeah. I don't feel at all like, oh, I'm getting to the end of the fantasy barrel, not only because some of the things that we've done once or twice, I'm definitely looking forward to doing again. But also, I've just seen how the process itself is so self renewing, mm-hmm. like it just reinforces that, um, that sexual permissiveness But that brings up a very important point. I think we're going to close with this that while this is something that you can do for the health of your relationship, we recognize that many people are not in a position where they can do this. Their connection is not strong. They have not fostered an atmosphere of sexual openness. And I would just encourage people to set as the highest standard you need to be able to tell your partner. All your fantasies. And I know some people find those threatening, and that's a job that may require therapy to get through. But this is really important stuff because there is healing on the other side. There is love and acceptance and growth at an almost miraculous level. But if you're not there right now, I would say I'm not a big advice giver, but it needs to become a priority.
1: Yeah. And you know, to your point earlier that you felt like we couldn't have sex until we were emotionally connected. Mm -hmm. I feel like this has brought us to a place of connection, not just during those three hour periods, but through the rest of the week as well. Sure, This has been, I think, the number one tool in rebuilding our relationship. It's brought us together sexually, but it's brought us together emotionally. We have less conflict. Mm-hmm. We're more affectionate, more touchy the rest of the week. Um, we're more patient with each other. So sex is great therapy. Um, it's not just a physical act. It's a real it's a real act of connection and intimacy, and it'll draw you together if there are things that are trying to pull you apart.
0: Okay. When are we having our next three-hour sex date, by the way?
1: Sunday. Wow. Before the kid comes home.
0: Okay. And this is wednesday when we're recording this so okay i've got four days this it's is my turn, turn to curate yeah yeah Get okay ready. so i like to come up with some stuff <laughs> all right i'll do it i love you sweetie i love you too bye.
1: bye thanks so much for listening if you want to keep in touch between podcasts you can follow us on twitter at monogamish1 for our joint account or you can follow us separately I am at Kate Monogamish on Twitter.
0: And I am at Landon underscore Liam on Twitter.
1: We're also both on Instagram. We are. And I am under The Monogamish Marriage, or you can just search for Kate Monogamish on Instagram.
0: Or Liam underscore VS underscore Time. So that's Liam versus Time on Instagram. Thanks again for listening. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon.